Hey everyone, this is the second session of the FUMC Stanley podcast. I'm just going to get right into it. Um, uh, to establish some connection with what we were talking about last time and what we're doing week by week uh, with the, with the uh, question and answer, or the, not question and answer, discussion, with the, the leading questions. Okay, so our first question is the big one, and it's um, where have you experienced God uh, in the past week? Um, because the, the point to what we're teaching is that we would know God. Remember our, our uh, definition, not our definition, but Jesus' definition of eternal life is that we know God, that we know Him, uh, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Um, the way the kingdom works out in our lives is through the personal presence of Jesus with us throughout the moments of our days, throughout all the moments of our days. So Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, behold, I'm, I'm with you always. Uh, something Nolan and I have just <laughs> come up against over and over and over. And we, we meet every week and we're like, oh, are we going to teach this again? Are we going to preach this again? Uh, but it really is the heart of everything that we do is that God really is. That His presence, His glory overflows every aspect of creation. Um, David said, there's nowhere I can go and hide from your presence. <clears throat> Now, what we, what we talked about in Isaiah 6 today is, is it's a very important aspect of life with God that, that we have to get clearly in mind. That's why people like Richard Dawkins can exist. It's because God has set the world up in such a way that if you don't want to see Him, you don't have to. And so Richard Dawkins, one of his famous phrases, which he actually stole from uh, Bertrand Russell, was he says that, Somebody asked him one time, if you were to die and you stood before God, what would you say to him? And his response was, I would say, why, why don't you make yourself more obvious? Um, but the truth is, God doesn't make himself obvious because if we don't want to see him, we're, he set the world up in such a way that if we don't want to see him, we don't have to. And so what we see in, in throughout the, the history of Israel is God gently reaching out, trying to meet us where we are. To draw us back into relationship with Him. But right from the beginning, it was always about the with God life. It was always about knowing God. Um, you see that uh, in Genesis 3, after the fall, God comes and, and the kind of the indication is that He came in the cool of the day to walk with Adam. And the kind of the indication was that He did that every day. And even when they, when they established the temple, they, or was it the temple? Yeah, the, the original temple, when they were first, before Solomon built the big thing, when uh, Abraham, not Abraham, who was the guy that led him out of Egypt? Moses. It's a pretty big name to forget. <laughs> Hold on. <clears throat> let's go get the kids back in here. Yeah, yeah, let's get the kids back in here. Okay, so Moses, when God gave the law to Moses, one of the stipulations was, you know, that there would be light continually burning in the temple, which indicated God's presence. And that morning and at twilight, they would come in and do a sacrifice. And that was a place, actually, it was designed for Israel to meet with God regularly there. And so, even from the beginning, God was trying to draw us into that relationship. We kept pushing away and pushing away and pushing away. You see that? Right? Moses goes up on the mountain. He comes down. He's glowing, right? And they say, you talk to God. We don't want to talk to God. 
And even when they're established and they've got a kingdom and God's their king, they say, we want, to, we want our own king. We don't want God to be our king. Remember, Samuel's upset about it. And God says, it's me they're rejecting, not you. And we see that you know, all throughout the Old Testament. Idolatry is just a form of saying we don't want the real God. We'd rather have a God that we can manipulate, a God that we can control, a God that lets us still reign, which was our original sin, that we could be like God. And so God keeps reaching out and keeps reaching out. And even in exile, we learn that there's a God in heaven. The Jews had gotten the idea that God was fixed there in Jerusalem. But then they find themselves in exile. And the neat thing about exile, if there's a bright side, is that they found out that God's not just localized in the temple, but God's everywhere. And so that phrase, the God in heaven, we see it as this you know, place that's at least past Pluto, right? Um, but the, the Jews would have seen what they meant by the, there's a God in heaven. I mean, that's the space surrounding them on all points. It was out there too, but it was right here. And so what they realized that God was not localized to one specific space, but that He is everywhere. That wherever they find themselves, He's there. Uh, and so Jesus comes to, uh, among other things, but He comes primarily into humanity to show us what life with God looks like. And to take on that life and, and live it in front of us in such a way that He draws us into it. And when He draws us into it, the idea is that we would step into it in the same way that he did. So I was teaching the youth earlier, and I talked about Jesus. What we talked about the other week, uh, you know, uh, stopping a funeral. And, um, well, stopping a funeral in itself is a pretty big step, isn't it? But could you imagine stopping the funeral, stopping the car, and asking them to open the casket? Mm. You know, and that's what he did. Because there was confidence with him, and their answer was, well, he was Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' point was, and he said to himself, he'll do greater works than me. And even when he healed people, he never just, or he rarely just spoke, or, or rarely just waved over on and healed them, but he always had them do something, didn't he? In most cases, you know, stretch forth your hand. Wash your eyes. Yeah, wash your eyes. Go offer to Moses the, the sacrifice for your healing. Um, and so, Jesus' point to that is to attach us. He could have, from this lofty place, granted us healing easily. But the harder work and the better work and the more precious work was moving with us in such a way that we had enough faith to step into the light. Right? So Jesus lived in such a way, and this is crucial for our teaching tonight, Jesus lived in such a way that he inspired faith in the goodness of God to the people around him. That if we had eyes to see, if we wanted to see it, and it made people do crazy stuff. Jesus wasn't the only person in the gospel doing crazy stuff. You know that? People were ripping off the roofs of houses. It's kind of crazy. Except when you think that the guy was paralyzed and he was going to walk again. Hey, I'll fix your house once I can walk. <laughs> right? But that's an investment. <laughs> Yeah, that's an investment in the invisible God and what they saw in Jesus inspired Jesus, tell me to get out of the boat if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat Peter said that um, uh, the woman with the issue of blood should have never been coming anywhere near Jesus but she went and touched the hem of his garment 
And over and over again, we see people, the two blind men on the road, they're calling out Jesus to have mercy on them. Jesus starts getting close to the crowd, starts saying, shh, don't bother Well, the Bible says they started hollering louder. <laughs> they must have had an idea that he was close. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. See, he lived in such a way that he showed us that this life was possible. And what we see in John 14 is Jesus is helping us to make this transition where we can actually step into the life with him. All right, so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The reason he has to say that is because they're really upset. Because they had the idea that Jesus was doing something different than what he was doing. They had the idea that Jesus was coming as a political king. And it made sense. Jesus was going to rule the world. <laughs> He's going to put Israel back on the map. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. Do we need to bring the kids <laughs> How many disciples were there? Twelve. Twelve. So you see what they're thinking. Okay. And so when Mama Zebedee brings her boys and says to Jesus, grant that my sons be on your right hand and on your left when you enter your kingdom. It's not something, they're not thinking something in heaven. She's thinking when you become president of the whole world, can James be your vice president and John be your secretary of state? See, that's what she has in mind. She's thinking they're going to rule the world and that James and John. And so what were the disciples always arguing about? Who was crazy? That wasn't an arbitrary argument. That wasn't just an ego trip. They were wondering what spots they were going to hold in the cabinet. <laughs> See, that was what they were. And so Jesus finally says to them, and he's actually said it a couple of times already, and it hasn't gotten through their heads. And he finally says to them, okay, listen, I am going to a cross. Do you understand that? And now they're really upset. And so <laughs> Thomas says at one point, so let's just go die with them. I, mean, I think they've left everything. They thought they were leaving everything to gain something bigger and better. And they were. They just didn't understand the nature of what that was. And so when they get to John 14, you know, Jesus has already talked about going to the cross. He knows. Everybody knows he shows up in Jerusalem. He's going to die. Now he's washing people's feet. I mean, it's just ridiculous the, the, the heights that he was and the depths that he had fallen to now. And so he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he takes them through that passage, and he's helping them to see how everything that he did was connected with the Father. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not a heaven when you die verse. That is not a, you're going to stand before Peter, and he's going to give you the test, and he's going to say, was it Jesus, Muhammad, or Buddha? Multiple choice. Choose right, you get to go to heaven. It's not what that means. What he's talking about is literal experiential connection with the Father right here, right now. Because Philip says, hey, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And that's, that's where Jesus has got him. He says, Philip, don't you understand? Have I been with you so long you don't know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. He said, at least believe because of the works. And right before that he said, uh, I don't do anything on my own, but I speak and my Father works. So at least believe because of the works. So what he's saying here is that, Phil, don't you understand that when I act, the Father's acting with me? That's what it means to be in the Father and Father. That means that's a vital relationship, right? It's a it's a it's a an experiential relationship. 
I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I speak, and the Father works. And if you can't believe that, at least think back to the stuff that I've done. Don't you remember when I was breaking bread, and there was just like, you know, two fish and five pieces of bread, and we fed all these people? You remember that? Well, I broke the bread, but the Father was breaking the bread with me. Flesh and blood can't do that. You remember when Lazarus was dead, and we unwrapped him, and I called out Lazarus, come forth, and he actually came back to life. He'd been dead four days. I spoke, and the Father worked. And Jesus is showing that connection with the Father, which made sense to them. They had always said, surely this is the Son of God. But then he says something just absolutely ridiculous. So when you act in my name, you'll do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. The point was, is that, okay, so he's teaching them that you can see me. I'm right here in the flesh. You can touch me. You can interact with me. I'm interacting with the Father who's unseen. But there's coming a day when I'm going to step in with the Father. Still right here with you. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm going to be unseen. And now you can live the same way I did with the Father. Through me, you can live connected to the Father the same way. He even goes so far in that same chapter, he goes on and says, Ask the Father in your name, in my name. The Father will give it to you just because you're his kid. He's going to do it that the Father will be glorified in the Son. He said, You're going to be connected to the Father. In the same way that I am, through Jesus, we're connected with the Father. You know, Romans 8 says that He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That does not mean that God's got a throne and Jesus is on His right side and He's on His knees and He's praying for you. He is praying for you, I'm sure. But what that means is that intercession means, you know, you're connected here. Can I have your hand or are you scared? And then here, and so they're connected through me, you see? Like if there was electricity running through them, we would have just shocked Karen with electricity because it would have gone through our bodies. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Our vital connection with Him connects us through the Father and to the Spirit in the same way that He was connected. And He's trying to get that through the heads of the disciples. And they actually got it. As much as they missed, as knuckleheaded as they were, you look at the book of Acts and they got it. And they did stupid stuff. Like taking lame people and jerking them up. Does anybody want to try that this week? I mean, just go find the first person you see in a wheelchair and jerk them up. How does that feel? But it's what they did. Now, there are some people that teach that that ended when the Bible was finished. Like with the apostles, when they died, that ended. I don't see the point. I mean, I think the whole point was Jesus was passing it on to them so they could pass it on to the next guy, so they could pass it on to the next guy. So 2,000 years later, we'd still be doing the same thing. And it's not just about jerking people up and, and the, the fantastic stuff. It's not for show. It's for life. It's that I can live my whole life in connection with the Father because it's actually not about the power as much as it is about the relationship. That that's where I get to know Jesus. And I can know Him right here in the moment-by-moment actions of my life, the experiences of my life. What life is, is just a series of experiences, isn't it? We go from one experience to the next. 
Sometimes we dread our experiences. Sometimes we're happy about our experiences. But we just move from one experience to the next. And the Christian life is one in which we experience all of those moments with God. Or we're learning to. So our verse, one of our verses from last week, Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To do it in His name means to do it on His behalf. And that means His presence is with you. Now, there's one other major aspect of that that we have to step into if we're going to do this rightly. So Jesus goes on in John 14, after He said all that wonderful stuff, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then I will give you the comforter, even the spirit of truth, who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit. Right? He says, if you love me, just a few verses later, you'll keep my commands. And Jesus says, I will manifest myself to you. So now we have the spirit and we have the son. <coughs> He says one more time, just in case we were missing it. And anytime something's repeated three times in Scripture, just like the holy, holy, holy from this morning, anytime something is repeated like this three times in Scripture, pay attention. It's very emphatic. And he says a third time, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and my Father and I will come and make our home with you. His Father, Son, Holy Spirit promise to us through keeping His commands. Now, coming and making their home with you, that kind of sounds relational, doesn't it? And I know you guys have opened up your house to, to people. That's relational, isn't it? Yeah. It can be a little messy, can it? She's not, she, they're not Jesus. There are some <laughs> people not Jesus. <laughs> uh, some people have a gift for hospitality. Like they can welcome people in anytime, and it's beautiful. I don't have that gift. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody to know where I live. <laughs> I'll meet y'all here. <laughs> um, but seriously, then it's about doing life, and it can be messy, and it can be yucky, and sometimes I, I following Jesus scares me because the way He did it. He didn't stay in heaven and just sprinkle grace on us from heaven to fix us. He got right down in the midst of our mess. And so if I'm going to love other people the way he did, then I have to be willing to get right in the midst of their mess. And that's scary to me. I would much rather just teach a class. Like, you need help? I'll, I'll do a six-week class on, you know, trying not to act like a jerk and making your life work better. Something like that, right? Did you, did you <laughs> I didn't have anybody in here in mind when I said that. I had some family members in mind, but nobody will record. You can edit that out, right? Good. Good. Small fee. Alright, so here's the second aspect. If we're gonna live in partnership with God, we have to live as servants. Really, Jesus' command is that we love. But if we use the word love, sometimes it can get a little religious. It, it, sometimes we, we kind of do one of two things. One is we kind of think of love as the way we feel, right? You know, we talked about that. Like, I love cheeseburgers. Because the way I feel when I'm in their presence, <laughs> I think I love them. But really, I don't love them. Just ask the cheeseburger. <laughs> 
Because what I want to do, I want to use the cheeseburger for my own satisfaction. And that's sometimes what we think of as love. So we think if we're going to love somebody, that means we're going to feel good things about them. And it doesn't always work that way. Just think about your spouses. A lot of times you do feel good things about them. I, pro I want to guess that it's not 100%. But does, mean, does that mean you don't love them when you don't? No, absolutely not. But then we can go all the way on the other side, and we can love people in Christ when we really hate their guts. <laughs> <laughs> and then we say things like, I'm not really talking bad about them. I'm just saying. But. <laughs> bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> We're going to talk about blessing tonight. Yeah, I do have to keep up with the time, though. I don't want to go off on too many tangents. Um, so love, we have to we have to relook at love, and servanthood helps us to do that. Uh, servanthood is the track on which the train of agape love runs. In other words, that it, servanthood guides love. Servanthood show us, shows us the direction that love is moving. And so one of the aspects of servanthood is that I actually see myself, I see you as more significant than me. So humility and agape love, they're two sides of the same coin. You, you, they're not separate. Humility that leaves out love is not humility. Most of the time what we think of as humility is really just modesty or maybe even false modesty. So if you say to somebody, like if I were to say to Amy, Amy, you are so good at playing the piano. And she goes, oh, no, I'm not. That's not humility. That's lying. <laughs> Which is actually a sin. <laughs> so it's not okay for us to act like we're not good in humility. Because Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's a tall claim, right? Yeah. You probably didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> but think about that claim. All of humanity, I'll give you rest. <laughs> I get anxious if I have to help more than two people in a week. <laughs> but then he says, but I'm gentle and humble at heart. Jesus was completely humble. People criticize Moses because supposedly he wrote uh, the first five books of the law where it says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. <laughs> if you said that, is it true? Well, it could be. People often say, if you're really humble, you won't know it. Well, God told us to put on humility. I, I, it'd probably good, be good to know what it looked like if I was going to put it on. It's okay to know that you're humble. Because humility is not thinking that you're nothing. It is understanding you're nothing without God. David A. De Silva, I love his definition or just description of humility. He says, humility is not a depreciation of your own worth, but it is an adequate appreciation of the worth of others. So, Amy can say, yes, I am good at the piano. Mark, I'm actually better at the piano than you. But that does not make me better than you. See, What we see as pride is actually when we are arrogant enough to think that we're better than somebody because of particular gifting that we have. Because we're good at something. Maybe because I'm more humble, I'm better. 
Jesus knew that he was more humble than us, but he still considered us more significant. He went all the way to the cross for us. He saw us, he saw Todd as significant enough, as worthy of dying for. That's how he saw you. That's humility. And that's how we live it out. And so, if we're going to live in partnership with God, it does require that we live in the name of Jesus. But that does not just mean that we say in the name of Jesus with everything that we do. Just, you know, like, we pray in the name of Jesus means that we have to say in the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer. And then we get all upset if there's a public prayer and we're not allowed to say in the name of Jesus afterwards. And I understand that, but here's the deal. If I'm living in the name of Jesus, nobody censoring my words is going to change that. Because it doesn't matter what I say, it matters who I am. And when who I am is evident, what I say will take care of itself. So to live in the name of Jesus... First off, it does mean that what we talked about last month. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Remember that Jesus is with me. Remember that He has an agenda. To live in His name, remember, means to live on His agenda. So in any situation that I am, first off, I remember that He's there. But I don't just remember that He's there, but I also remember that He's Lord. Remember the, the scripture in Romans 10 that talks about salvation. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. It's not just some lofty thing that you can confess about Jesus. To believe that he's Lord means that right here and right in this moment, he is Lord. He said, I've been given say over all things in heaven and earth. That's why I acknowledge him in all of my ways, because in all of my ways, he is in charge. He is Lord. And his reign is not some static reign where he's sitting on a throne somewhere and he's just ready to cast judgment for or against people. It's not that kind of reign. It's actually an active reign. 1 Corinthians 15 says he is reigning until all of his enemies are under his feet. For Jesus, reigning means that in this moment, wherever this moment is, Jesus is working for the good of everybody involved. The way he puts his enemies under his feet, the way he defeats evil, he overcomes evil with good. So in this moment that I am, the, the way I partner with Jesus, the way I mesh my actions with His, and that's where I know Him, where He and I are partnering together. He's at my right hand and I'm at His right hand. The way I do that is by joining Him with His agenda, the work that He's doing. Now sometimes, maybe I'll be given specifics about that. But even if I'm not, there's always a general Agenda. There's always an overarching thing that God's doing. And this is what it is. He just wants to bless the people that are in front of him. He is working desperately, night and day, to get as much blessing to people as he possibly can. His light is shining on every person, the Bible says. And you can live in such a way that you can open them up to that light in the same way Jesus opened people up to the light on his, here in his life. See? The way Jesus inspired faith in the presence of God with his presence, you can live that same way when you become a person of blessing the way he is. He, he is. Now, it requires two things. One, it requires intention. You have to decide to do it. And sometimes you have to decide to do it again. Because sometimes there's going to be things come up and you're going to be like, I don't want to bless them. 
And sometimes there's going to be things come up that you've already cursed them before you realized it. Right? And that's where the second part comes in. So last week I told you that there are two ways that we change. One is we change our thoughts. The second way that we change is we change our habits. And they go together. Right? That is it's never more crucial than when we're talking about blessing. Because we can bless with our mouths and not bless with our body language. You ever experienced that? Like maybe when somebody says, bless your heart, right? That is a blessing with your mouth, but you can tell by the tone of their voice and the look on their face, they don't really mean it. They really mean, you're an idiot. That's how that's translated, right? And so, uh, Paul talks about in Romans 6, I was going to do number 6, but we'll get there in a minute. Watch him, then shall we say, or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the idea here is we're dead to the old way of life that was without God, and now that we might walk in newness of life. Not run, not sprint, walk. It's a steady moment by moment movement of new life the new life is that I'm reconnected to God so how do we do that Paul says I'm glad that you asked for if we've been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the listen to this that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin the body of sin might be brought to nothing. What's the body of sin? What do you think? Any guesses? Anything against God. Anything against God? But what's the body of sin? What, what, is, what does he mean body of sin? Because sin is anything yeah. against God. What's the body of sin? It's our own selfish desires or our own bodies. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Now, see, here's the thing. Our bodies aren't sinful in and of themselves. God created them. And he saw that it was good. But he also created our bodies in such a way that they learn things. To, they learn to do things without asking us. Right? <laughs> so I confessed last week. <laughs> Like snort. Like snorting when you laugh. Nobody tries to do that. Our bodies just know how to do it. Or like I confessed last week, the only uh, the only language that I'm fluent in is Gaston County English. I didn't try to learn that. My body just picked it up. I listened to the podcast, which you did a great job on, but it's so painful to listen to. You don't realize how much of a hit you are until you listen to yourself and you're like, Lord, do I really sound like that? But that's just in my body. I'm not thinking about it. When we talk, now when a baby's learning to talk, they have to think about it, don't they? See, dad, dad. And they do that, we lose our minds, right? <laughs> and then like two months later, we're going, please stop talking. Right? Because they get good at it. And they don't have to think about it anymore. They just do it. And you know they're not thinking about it. <laughs> 
stuff they say in front of people. You're going, oh my goodness. <laughs> right? I wasn't looking at you, Chris. <laughs> um, but they just do it, right? That's the same thing with walking. A little child, they take their first step. And then they get that first step in. And once again, we lose our minds. We put it on Facebook. But then we learn to walk, and then there's just nothing to it. I mean, we just we do it without thinking. And I can get up here and teach because God made my body in such a way that He has learned to speak, and it has learned to walk, and it has learned to communicate without me thinking about it. I don't have to think about it. If I say for you to raise your hand, all of you can do it without thinking about it. If I say raise your right hand, you might have to think about it. You might have to remember which one's which. But our bodies have learned to do things. When a teenage driver is driving, I know Jesse just got her permit, so I told her I'd be off. The, uh, she got a license, that's right. So I told her I'd stay off the sidewalks for a little while. Because here's the deal. A teenage driver is scary because their bodies don't know how to do it yet. They have to think about it. And so it's scary. But eventually our bodies just know how to do it. Something darts out in front of us, we don't think about it. We don't go, huh, that might be something I wouldn't want to kill. Perhaps I should apply my foot to the brake. No, we just react. And all about, almost everything that we do is just reaction. It's things that our bodies have learned to do. And in fact, if you want to unlearn Gaston County English, you've got to work really hard to do it. If you want to, you know, if you walk weird and you want to fix that, you got to work on it to learn how to do it, right? And you know that's why when somebody has a stroke, they have to work really hard to learn to develop new neural neural pathways because their habitual way of moving their arms or moving their legs has been cut off by the stroke. Okay, so that's what has happened. God made our bodies that way, and it's beautiful and it's good. But the problem is we learn sin the same way. We're born into sin. We're dead in trespasses and sin before we're born again, as Paul says. And what's happened, in the same way that I've learned Gaston County English, same way, way I've learned to walk the way I do, talk the way I do, all the things that I do, I've learned sin the same way. Most of you, you probably don't have to think about it in order to get angry, do you? Somebody surprises does something. Most often. What's that? It most often surprises me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you've realized this there before. Yeah. You don't have to go... I think I should be angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Work on that. Work on that. It just comes out. And that's how actually all sin does. It feels sometimes like it's a process, but often it seizes on you and before you even get a chance to act it out. Often that's how it works. Because our body of sin is this part of us that has learned a life without God before we think. In the same way that we slam on the brake when something darts out in front of us, there are cues in our environment, in our social environment, that draw the sin that is just poised, waiting to jump out of us. I bet you'll say about certain people, they just bring out the worst of me, right? That's that habitual sin that's in you. And so, if we're going to switch this over, Paul says the body of sin must be done away with. He literally says in, in chapter 7, he says, the sin lives in my members. It literally, <coughs> sin lives in my hands. It lives in my eyebrows. It lives in my tongue. 
The reason God can be angry and not sin, and it's very hard for us to, is because when we become angry, God doesn't have a body. When we become angry, sin seizes our bodies, doesn't it? Your blood pressure goes up, your face turns red, your eyebrows look different. I've probably told y'all this story, but there was a lady in one of our groups one time who said she was she had to get on her granddaughter for something one time. And um, after she fussed at her, after, a little bit later, her, she said to her grandma, she said, Grandmommy, please stop being mad at me about that. She said, Honey, I'm not still mad at you about that. And she said, Well, your face still is. <laughs> now, what's that mean? Well, the anger was still inhabiting her body. And we communicate way more with our tone of voice, which is a bodily thing, way more with our body language. We communicate contempt powerfully with our body language. No matter what we say, people can pick up on when you don't want to be in a conversation with you. And if you're attentive to it, you will notice when you're feeling like you want to get out of a conversation, you look at your body and you see what your body's doing. You have to work really, really hard to not show that with your body. The people that play poker or people that are the people that are good at poker have learned really, really well how to mask their use their bodies to mask what's actually going on inside. But most of us aren't good at it because people that are trained at it, they can pick up on our they call them tails. There are ways that our bodies respond to, to things. So if we're going to become a person of blessing, our body has to cross over with us. It can't just be something that we're thinking. It can't just be something that we're saying. But blessing literally has to come to inhabit our tongues. Literally to inhabit our eyebrows, our facial expressions, our tone of voice. So that's why one of the most beautiful gifts that God's ever given us is, um, I said number six. Yeah, it is number six. Um, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Now this passage is, the whole gospel is in this passage if you get it. Thus you shall, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Now listen to this. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Okay. God gave that to the priest in order to communicate His blessing to the people. For him to say, so shall they put my name, that means this is how you show the people what I'm really like. That's who God is. All that's said in that verse, that's what he's trying to do to every person on the face of the earth. That's how incredibly good he is. And he's given you the privilege to communicate that blessing. This is how you will put my name on the people, and I will bless them. <coughs> this blessing has to be become who you are. It has to become uh, ingrained in your body in such a way that when you interact with people, it just comes out of you. So like the Lord bless you, 
It's the first part of that. Bless you just means the Lord give you amazing abundance in every aspect of your life. Now, that has to be a desire that you have for the people around you. Like, not just something that you're thinking in your mind, but your body should be open to those people in, in such a way that they, that they actually can sense it, even if you don't say it. You've been around people like that, haven't you? You've, you've been in a conversation with somebody, and no matter what they said, you may, may, may not have said much, but you just go away with this feeling like, I think they really cared about me. I think they genuinely wanted my good here. Hey, when you meet a salesman that does that, man, it really does something to you. And there are some out there. Because now it doesn't feel like they're trying to get something from you, but they're actually trying to give you something. And that's God. Lord, bless you and keep you. I wish I had time to go deeply in all these, but we will run out of time. But keep you just means that I want you to be a part of us. You know, the embrace that this church is about. Keep you. You know, we have this phrase in this culture, unwanted children. There's no such thing as unwanted children. God wants them all. There's no child that God wants on the outside. And there's no adult that God wants on the outside. He wants us all. And when we live in such a way that people feel included rather than excluded, we actually bring to them the blessing of God. We communicate how good God is to them when we live that out. Because God's wanting to draw everybody in. He is not interested in keeping anybody out. Ever. He wants to draw a lolly. Alright, so uh, the Lord make His face shine upon you. Now, remember I talked about the shine in the face of Jesus. My favorite story about this is your story. Uh, about the young lady that you were talking to out here. And you couldn't get through to her at all, right? And nothing was breaking her. And then as she walked off, you said, do you, do you know that when Jesus thinks about you, He smiles? And it broke her. Because no, she didn't know that. It never occurred to her. And she could hardly believe it even when he said it. But maybe that's because there's enough sour-faced Christians out there that she didn't. She doesn't believe that Jesus would be smiling on her because his people sure ain't. Right? But what if we live like that? What if we shine the, the shining face of Jesus that instead of our faces showing contempt and Casting away and disapproval that our face is actually the a shining face. Think about think about your parents the first time they held your child. Like a grandparent for the first time, first time they held your child. Now think about their face, and you get a good glimpse of the shining face of Jesus. That's how he feels about you. That's how he feels about that person that you'd rather not be looking at at this moment, that you'd rather not be in the same room with. But what if it was so embodied in me, the shining face of Jesus, that when people saw me, they saw how good God was. Remember Jesus said that. Let your light so shine before others that they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You put the name of God on people by living this out. Okay, so I'm, I'm running out of time. I can't go through the rest of the, the things because we have to do our, uh, our practice. But just take those words. Remember, uh, we talked about using a scripture. This would be a good scripture for you to, to say over and over and over again. Um, and so your practice. Okay, so for the next month, we're going to work on this. 
Do not quit doing the last practice. All right? Don't quit doing the praying. We're a church. We're supposed to pray anyway, right? So stay with it. If your list changes, just keep doing <laughs> Learn it. Learn the joke. We're learning the joke. That's right. All right, so this next practice. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to choose. You can do it every day, but do it at least two or three days, okay? I want you to take the morning and think about somebody that you're going to interact with a pretty good bit throughout the day. Choose one person that day. It's okay if you do it for others, but choose one specific person and try to live this out, this blessing out to them all throughout that day. Don't tell them you're doing it. Just do it. Now, I suggest a few days because I suggest, you know, so for instance, if you do pick three, two days, pick somebody really easy. Like somebody you really like, practice with them. But choose one day. <laughs> The person that it's really hard, okay. Now, the only way you get good at something is you start where you are. So practice the easy stuff too, right? So um, you know, somebody that you're going to interact with all day that's just a pleasure to be around. Somebody you love. Hopefully, we all have people like that at least a day or two a week, right? And and just pour into that person. Live God's way. So the way you live out blessing is you just you just love. Them. You smile at them, you hug them, you do things for them, you, you, you anticipate their needs. You know, you see yourself as their servant. Okay? These people are going to be suspicious. Now, you don't have to do it, you don't have to do it in, a, in an ostentatious kind of way where you're in their face like, hey, can I have that help you? <laughs> you know, just do it, do it gently. Do it like Jesus would do it. You go to a creepy church. <laughs> and, and it's completely fine. I have to hug you. It's, it's completely fine if you do things that they don't know as well. Bless them in ways that they don't know. What's that? If I were to hug one of the top women. so. <laughs> and, then, and the only man that's there besides himself, you definitely don't hug that. <laughs> so, it just works for me. So. Okay. so you find. But I can you find ways. Yes, you can find ways. Find ways. Yeah. And, and, and at least one day, pick somebody that, well, if they weren't in your life, you probably wouldn't be sad about it. <laughs> oh, right? I'm sure everybody's got somebody like that. Right? Hopefully it's not your spouse. Um, but uh, that was a joke. I'm sure it's none of your spouse. Um, okay, so, so live this out few days a week. Um, if you can do it seven days, do it seven days. But the idea is that the more we practice it, the more it becomes ingrained. And what you'll do is you'll actually find yourself doing it like, and not realizing it. Okay, so close real quick with this story. See, this is, this is how, when, when we start living this, if this is the movements of God in your world, the more you practice it, the more you'll recognize His movements. Okay, so like, and probably some of you have heard this story, but Amy broke her wrist. Yeah, have y'all heard the story about Amy breaking her wrist years ago? The kids talked her into jumping on the pogo stick. <laughs> and like a good mother, she obliged, yeah. broke her wrist. Well, Mariah was like four, and she was in, uh, she was cheerleader at Presbyterian Church. Remember Presbyterian Church? I think she might have been with Claire. And so. Uh, Amy broke her wrist. Well, Mariah's hair had to be in a ponytail. 
And Amy, Mariah was very particular about her ponytails look, but she couldn't do it herself. And now Amy's wrist was broken, so guess who got ponytail duty? Oh! <laughs> there was no just, okay, it's time to do it, do it, Daddy. I had to practice. And practice. And practice. Uh, and it wasn't right, and it wasn't right. And I, I literally, I was seeing ponytails in my sleep. I had to do it so much. So a couple days into this, uh, you actually had given us tickets to a Panthers game. Somebody had donated them to the church, and you let me have the tickets. So Caleb and I went to the game, and I'm sitting there in the game zone, and a girl stands up in front of me, and she does this right here. And I went, I know what she's doing. <laughs> Which is kind of creepy. <laughs> but... <laughs> seen a ponytail, a girl put in a ponytail in my life? A Probably a whole lot. That's the first time I ever noticed. But why did I notice? It's because, because I had done it enough that I actually noticed the movements. You start living this blessing out, you will be more attentive to the movements of God in your life. In the same way that the ponytail caught my attention without me even thinking about it. Generally, I'd have been like, sit down, watch the game. <laughs> yeah. But instead, I was like, hey, I know what she's doing. Because I had been attentive. I don't know what you're saying, but because I had been made attentive through practice. All right? So if you keep doing this, it'll make you more alert to God's movements in you and around you. And you will more and more know God by experience. Right? Make sense? All right, so do the work. Next week, we'll talk about how we've experienced God, where we've gotten it right, where we've blown it. And, and I would like us to talk a little bit about what you have learned about yourself for God through this practice. So practice it. Sit down, lay out a couple of days, lay out a couple of people, and do it. If you don't plan, you're not just going to wake up one day in the mood, all right? So decide you're going to do it, and do it, and see what happens. All right? Who wants to close this out? All right, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be back in about three weeks. Uh, we do kind of some group discussion in between the, the sessions. So uh, come on out and join us at uh, 6 o'clock at FUMC uh, Common Ground. Thanks.